Hello everyone and welcome back to the Whale Nerds podcast. This is Caitlin and I am finishing our series on whale song. This is mini-sode number three and we are covering all the species of whales that sing besides humpback whales since we already covered humpback whales um, pretty extensively in the previous episodes. So who is out there singing? Um, What I will tell you is that Even though we're going through the coronavirus pandemic, one of the nicer things about doing research right now is actually that um, most journals have made their articles open or free access. So one little silver lining there for you. If you're you're having a hard time accessing journals because you don't have the same access to your institution or you're not affiliated with an institution or you don't have... Um, every journal that you're looking for with access through uh, an institution that you're involved with right now, I can tell you I was able to access most journals with full articles that I did for this research. So now's your time if you're looking for PDFs and you're looking for papers that you didn't have access to before. I don't know if they're going to go back to paywalls after this, but I kind of hope they don't because I think that publishing behind paywalls is really exclusionary way to do science and it's pretty difficult. Knowledge is meant to be shared so um, publishing everything open access is definitely my preferred way to see science done because I'm not affiliated with an institution but I still would like to access their work fully so I can get the full story as I'm trying to communicate science to people through my job and through the podcast. So Um, Hopefully that will continue, but just in case it doesn't, go ahead and take advantage. A lot of articles are available for free right now. So, this was a lot more information than (laughs) I realized out there on different species of whales that sing, which was pretty cool to have that be eye-opening for myself. We, of course, covered humpback whales very extensively, but... In this episode, I'm going to talk about blue whales, including pygmy blue whales, fin whales, bowhead whales, and then a few other species and subspecies that I chased down information about whether they sing or not. But all the species are baleen whales, so only mysticetes have been documented to produce what actually qualifies as a song, so repeating units and phrases. Some of them do themes, and this will be kind of a summary of everything that I was able to find and we'll start with blue whales because they are the next best studied besides humpback whales. So the first paper I looked up was from 2006. It was the biogeographic characterization of blue whale song worldwide using song to identify populations. This was by McDonald, Mesnick, and Hildebrand. And some background information that they discussed in the paper about blue whales is that their calls are among the most powerful in the world, up to 188 decibels, and of the lowest frequency, 16 to 100 hertz. So just for comparison of like how loud is 188 decibels, a jet engine is typically 120 to 140 decibels, and one of the loudest cars, which is a Porsche 911 Carrera RSR Turbo 2.1, is 138 decibels. I did look at a few articles about sound and trying to kind of get a reference of how loud things are. And one said that the loudest sound that can occur in nature is 194 decibels. I'm not 
really sure how they sourced that information. So take that with a grain of salt. Anything over 120 decibels can cause immediate damage to human ears. And I'm assuming that is in air, but probably something similar in water is going to be the same. So a blue whale, if it was calling right next to you in the water, could do some serious damage to you. And you would feel it in your whole body, not just in your ears. Blue whales do make calls that are often downsweeping tones that last two to five seconds. And they have calls that are not used in song at all, but they also have some calls that they then also incorporate into song units. And I think if you <clears throat> structurally broke down that idea with like other whales calls versus song units that prob you probably find some similar things. They have calls that, um, or they, the scientists use the same classifications to describe and break down song as they do with humpback whales. So they're using terms like units and phrases and blue whale song units are pulsed or tonal. Overall, blue whale song is much less com complex than humpback song. It has one to five units that are combined to produce a phrase. And songs can continue for hours or even days. Units are sometimes combined in different sequences that seem to apparently have rules or syntax by which only certain combinations are allowed. So that's, even though like the intricacies of the song are not that complicated, the fact that there's a, a set structure and it has rules is actually fairly complex as far as how the animal's composing it. Um, so that's something that I didn't really expect to find. So then the paper was trying to answer, why do blue whales sing? And it's not well understood, but some proposed social functions for all mysticity calls, including blue whales, are um, mating and parental behavior, long-range contact, assembly and um, sexual advertisement, greeting, spacing, threat, individual identification, and sensing the environment. Big surprise, we don't know why blue whales sing either. It is known that the male blue whales sing, but it's not known if the females also sing. Animals do vocalize year-round, but the peak is midsummer and into winter. Singers have been observed as solitary. Uh, chorusing so is peaks at dawn and dusk. Chorusing would be multiple singers in the same area. Blue whales can swim at speeds of 2 to 10 kilometers per hour while singing. So that's about 1 to 5.5 knots, which is pretty impressive that they could be swimming that fast and singing. Blue whale song can be detected for hundreds of kilometers, but under optimal conditions can be detected for thousands of kilometers. So once you're over 2,000 kilometers, you're also pushing thousands of miles as your range for sound. This paper combines some known genetic information with regional differences in song to distinguish nine song types and then use that as a proxy to say that there are nine populations. The, the premise of this was that blue whale song is incredibly sta stable over time, so it doesn't change from year to year. So you can continue to use song as an identifier for a population. So the 
Type 1 is from the Northeast Pacific. Those are blue whales seen off of California. Type 2 is the Southeast Pacific around Isla Guafo in Chile. Type 3 is the Southwest Pacific off of New Zealand. Type 4 is the North Pacific off the Aleutian Islands. Type 5 is the North Atlantic focused on the Eastern North Atlantic. Type 6 is the Southern Ocean around the Western Antarctic Peninsula. Type 7 is Northern Indian Ocean around Sri Lanka. Type 8 is Southeast Indian Ocean around Fremantle, which is Western Australia. Type 9 is the Southwest Indian Ocean around Diego Garcia, which are British occupied islands south of the Maldives. And you could look at these types and some commonalities between their songs and kind of put them into three categories based on their song similarity. And two of the categories make sense. Um, so one group is type one, two, and three. So those whales are all around the Pacific. That's California, Chile, and New Zealand. But then types four, five, and six have commonality and that one doesn't necessarily make sense. It's the North Pacific around the Aleutian Islands, the Eastern North Atlantic, and the Western Antarctic Peninsula. I mean, in the Northern Hemisphere, I guess you could maybe make the argument that they can communicate across the North Pole, depending on where the whale is that's singing and the whale that's listening. But then to make the connection to Western Antarctica, maybe it's just a coincidence. And then the last group also makes sense in the category because they're all in the Indian Ocean. It's the Sri Lanka, Fremantle, and Diego de Garcia song types. Something to note um, while I was doing this investigation is that a 2004 study of fin whales showed regional differences in song with no genetic difference, suggesting that song changes over a faster time scale than man management could realistically use. So there is a potential that um, the song as a regional population indicator maybe is not the most consistent, but uh, a lot of papers, which we'll talk about next, with fin whales are using regional song type as a proxy for population as well. So um, there is some debate, and it is definitely tricky to figure out how to manage them. I mean, bioacoustics is one of the easiest ways to gather data on a large scale um, at the lowest cost, but it may not indicate everything that you're trying to achieve with management. So then um, the next paper I looked at about blue whales was a 2009 paper. It was titled Worldwide Decline in Tonal Frequencies of Blue Whale Song. The uh, authors was McDonald, Hildebrand, and Mesnick. And their update is now that there's 10 types of song identified and seven of the 10 types are shifting their frequency downward, but at different rates from each other. And if you're shifting your frequency lower, that's a longer wavelength. It's like a deeper sound. The best studied population off of California was 31% lower than it was in 1960s. So the paper was trying to figure out why shift lower frequency. It could be a cultural conformity and directional synchrony. So one whale started singing lower, all the other whales started to do the same to match it. It could be a sexual selection over time. So if only the males are singing and it is a 
way to attract females, then maybe it's just that the ladies like it. So they're choosing mates that sing lower, which perpetuates it. It could be due to an increase in body size post whaling. So the whales are getting bigger and that then makes their vocal structure larger so then they can produce lower calls. It could also be because of global climate change and ocean acidification. There is a potential relationship between changing ocean chemistry and better sound propagation and lower calls reaching further distances, but the rates of ocean acidification and the rates of call change don't match up. So the change in ocean chemistry is only about 0.02%, but the call change is 32%. The next reason was that it could be biological interference, so competing with the sounds of other marine animals. As marine mammal populations especially recover, this could become a bigger factor. They suggested especially fin whales because they call in a very similar frequency. Another suggestion is uh, they could shift their calling because of anthropogenic noise, especially in California, as that population um, is on the increase and shipping traffic rises. The shift in call cor does correlate linearly to the rise in ocean noise, but it doesn't quite make sense um, because biologically it's easier to shift sound production higher instead of lower. So to shift lower, you have to go like another order of magnitude down and physically that's really demanding. So if you were just looking at it from a perspective of competing with the ambient anthropogenic noise, the logic says the whales would shift their call to a higher frequency to compete between the sounds of the anthropogenic noise in the ocean. But that's not what they're doing, so this paper has concluded that it's not a dominant factor for the shift. It's not the leading cause, but it could be a contributing factor. Uh, population recovery from whaling was also suggested as a cause for the shift. So there's more whales around, meaning they don't have to sing as loud, so they can sing lower instead, because producing that low-frequency sound is very energetically costly. So you have a choice. You can sing loud or you can sing low. And so since they don't have to sing loud, then they could sing low. But this assumes that Population density can be sensed by individuals, maybe through chorusing, but there's no clear mechanism. Uh, this idea also proposes that lower frequency has been coincidentally selected for over time because mates are easier to find. So if you're going to play through that theory, then if there are more whales around, it's easier to find a mate. So then they're all singing lower because they don't have to sing louder. This then leads to the speculation that the distance a song is heard is related to population density. And if that's true, the relative density of blue whale populations and the change in population over time could be theoretically calculated, but ambient noise and changing ocean chemistry would make this difficult to model. Their final conclusion is that song frequency cannot shift downward indefinitely, and they suggest that song frequencies will stabilize as the population densities become stable. Um, not covered readily in blue whale studies was 
the nuances of the subspecies. And this paper is uh, over 10 years old. So the Chilean blue whale and the pygmy blue whale and teasing out the differences between all the subspecies is sort of a newer thing. Not, I mean, some of the subspecies have been described for a long time, but not dedicated, studied for that since their first description. <clears throat> so, even though those subspecies and B. musculus occupy the same geographic area, there wasn't really a whole lot of information available to see if there's an influence on each other's calls or songs. How likely is that? Is it a long-term influence? Um, but there was one paper I looked at um, in a little more detail about pygmy blue whales. In 2011, the vocal characterization, the paper was called Vocal Characteristics of Pygmy Blue Whales and Their Change Over Time. This was um, Gavrilov, Macaulay, Salgado, and Kent. The full paper access was a little difficult, but what I got out of it was this was an Eastern Indian Ocean study site. Songs consi consisted of either three or two repeating tonal sounds with harmonics. And the loudest sound they produced was up to 179 decibels. Another um, paper in 2013 from, again, Gavrilov and Macaulay also indicates detecting calls from 50 to 200 kilometers depending on conditions. I also did a quick browse of a 2008 French paper discussing methods of collection and analysis to effectively distinguish between blue whale subspecies calls, and it does seem like they are able to do so. Um, so hopefully over time that will become something that's maybe better studied and is more, more information would be available about it. Um, but there was nothing published that I could find on exclusively Chilean blue whale calls as a designated subspecies. <clears throat> so that's blue whales and pygmy blue whales. Now we are on to fin whales. And the first paper I looked at was to, in 2014. It was called Synchronous Seasonal Change in Fin Whale Song in the North Pacific. The authors was Olison, Sorovic, Bayless, and Hildebrand. They analyzed data sets from three regions of the Eastern North Pacific, and those regions were Southern California, the Bering Sea, and Hawaii. Each region had their own distinct song type. There was a previous study in the Western North Atlantic that showed fin whales synchronously changed their inner pulse interval of their song within one month during the winter. So this massive change swept across, um, changing a key component of the song, which is they have this pulse pattern and there's an interval between the pulses and they changed that and all the whales had adopted it within one month, which is pretty impressive. Their song is a stereotypic sequence of downsweeping pulses organized into regularly repeating patterns. They commonly call them 20 hertz pulses. And the seasonality of the song shift was offset in each region, but just to look at like when they were deter when they were hearing song, um, we'll start up north with the Bering Sea in 2000 to 2001. They heard song from October to April. In 2001 to 2002, they heard song from November to April. In 2005 to 2006, they actually heard song from August to January. <clears throat> As we come south down the mainland, 
Um, in Southern California from 2000 to 2001, they heard song from October to February. They heard song in 2001 to 2002 from October to May. And then 2002 to 2003, they heard song from September to May. So not a whole lot of change on that one. And then as you go across Pacific to Hawaii, from 2000 to 2001, they heard song from December to April, and then 2005 to 2006, November to March. So pretty close. The shift in songs does su suggest connectivity in the fin whale population in the Pacific. And they started to look at the synchrony and how does that indicate the role of song. So their question was, why is there strong circa annual rhythm in fin whale song? Circuit annual rhythms are common in mammals and birds and can be related to mating season or mating activity. Little is known about the beha mating behavior of fin whales. Big surprise. <laughs> but it is assumed that song has a mating function. The timing of the song change actually coincides with the mating period in both the cases of the North Atlantic and the North Pacific. So mating is November to March and Peak conception is early December, and that information actually comes from a 1958 publication from Japanese whaling catches. Um, so this is only data from the North Pacific referenced in this citation, but in that paper, if you open it up, it also has comparative data from the North Atlantic. And then um, male peak and annual testes activity is at the same time as the peak in conception and that's according to their citation of a 1961 discovery publication from whaling data as well. Um, but it was really hard to finish chasing down the source of where that, like what ocean, who was doing the catches, that kind of stuff. But this does suggest that song change and reproduction may be linked. So male signaling could serve a range of purposes. It could be guarding territory, it could be resource advertisement, could be to facilitate female choice or in male-to-male -male interactions. Sound familiar? Um, due to the occurrence range, including nutrient-poor waters, the idea of research, resource advertisement is unlikely. So fin whales um, making these calls from Hawaii, where it's pretty nutrient-poor, um, kind of makes the argument that it's unlikely that they're advertising that there are resources there, so it has to be some other function. Um, also, low-frequency song production at a high amplitude, so singing low and loud, is energetically taxing, so guarding or resource advertisement is not likely because it would be physically too difficult to sing and feed. The singing is at a faster rate early in the season and that may indicate high male fitness and that then promotes pairing of males and females. In birds, um, singing decreases as the number of pairs increases, so this could be the same thing for fin whales since the singing rate decreases as the season progresses as well. An alternate speculation suggests that rather than female attraction, male-to-male -male interaction such as mate guarding, direct competition, or social communication is the function of song instead. The mate guarding idea is not really well supported by the data, but if it were a competition display, the rate of decline could make sense if the competition and song are declining both as the season progresses. Uh, synchrony and calling could be maintained co more like coincidentally as a result of male-to-male -male communication 
um, where male's response matches the call of neighbors to promote communication overall. The paper points out even among humpback studies, intrasexual and intersexual roles are both suggested when they're investigating um, song and humpback whales. So male to male interactions, but also male to female interactions as motivators for song. Um, overall, fin whale's song is not studied well enough to tease this out. <laughs> um, so I looked at another paper from 2002 and this one was from Laredo, Baja California Sur, so Southern Baja in Mexico. And the title of the paper was Only Male Fin Whales Sing Loud Songs. And the researchers that were involved in this was Kroll, Clark, Acevedo, Tershi, Flores, Garamke, and Urban. And they did so, give some diagnostic information about the song, um, similar to the other papers, talking about it's a long patterned um, 15 to 30 hertz pulse or the 20 hertz pulse which can reach up to 184 to 186 decibels so almost as loud as blue whales but they actually were able to do some um, ground truthing on whether it was male singing or not so the singers that they identified in the field they had an opportunity to biopsy them every biopsied singer was a male and it's interesting that they were able to further validate this because during their weekly just transect surveys in Laredo Bay, they were able to biopsy at random during the survey and they concluded that there was a one-to-one -one ratio of the sexes in their study area, but all their biopsied singers were male. So that's pretty compelling that the males are the singers. This then proposes that the song is a display to females from great distances to aggregations of patchily distributed prey. And they drew this conclusion from the fact that they observed fin whales feeding on krill in their Laredo study area. And then this alludes to a potential issue with anthropogenic sound and masking the calls of the fin whales. Because if the fin whales are not only advertising for mates, they're also advertising where the food is at the same time, then masking that call could have some pretty big conservation implications, some big management implications. I breezed through a couple other papers just trying to get a sense of who's studying fin whales and if they found anything new. There was a few papers that sort of just validated what I've just talked about. In 2017, there was a Gulf of California and Southern California study trying to distinguish if there were multiple populations just based on the song. They aren't quite there yet, but they were, they were getting there as far as using song to determine populations. The North Atlantic paper in 2012 pretty much had the same conclusion as that original North Pacific study I was talking about. They actually referenced that North Pacific paper referenced the North Atlantic paper and they basically both came to the same conclusion. In 2011, there was a Mediterranean paper using song to determine two different populations, one coming in from the Atlantic and one that was already in the Mediterranean. And then there was a 2007 paper from the Southern Ocean doing the same thing, trying to use regional song to help determine the number of populations. So that wraps it up for fin whales. So <clears throat> a few papers, and some of them are older papers, 
and it's just like a one-off mention in an introduction or discussion, um, said that maybe Minky Whales composed song. And as I continued to delve into that further, I was looking at Minky Whales and Dwarf Minky Whales, and Minky Whales don't exactly produce a song, um, but they produce these pulse trains that are being looked at in a mating context. And then dwarf minke whales, some of you may have seen this, it went viral a couple years ago. They produced this Star Wars call, which is not song, but it's cool anyway. I'll see if I can find the link. And then minke whales also produce this boing call, but no data indicating that they actually compose song. Uh, same thing with Brutus whales. There was a couple one-off mentions of potential Brutus whales singing, um, but I couldn't find any data to validate that. So the last species that I'll really talk about in depth uh, for whales that Mississeets that sing is bowhead whales. The first paper I looked at was from 1987 and it was titled Sounds and Source Levels from Bowhead Whales Off Point Barrow, Alaska. They were able to determine that the song was composed of up to 20 repeated phrases which lasted up to 146 seconds, so over two minutes. They observed usually only one whale sang at a time. Their sound level ranged from 129 decibels up to 189 decibels, so they can get pretty loud, but they're also on the quieter end. Their sound was detected up to 10.7 kilometers from the hydrophone. Or the hydrophone was, the whale was 10.7 kilometers away from the hydrophone is how I should say that. Um, and because it wasn't very far, scientists also speculate that shallow benthic habitats of the Arctic and subarctic probably limits the song, the song and calls range to a shorter distance than other whales' habitats because it's basically just physically not as good of an environment to propagate the, the sound wavelengths. There's no access to the deep sound channel. There's just a bunch of physical barriers in the way of the song, the sound tra traveling underwater. So they can't, their range is limited by their habitat for sound. Then this paper didn't really give me any novel information about like the particulars of song, but I remember this paper being presented at a conference a few years ago and it was like, it was just one of those moments in science that I think is really cool. So it's titled Spitzbergen's endangered bowhead whales sing through the polar night. And the conclusion of the paper, um, Stafford was the leading author, is basically that it's a big surprise. Bowhead whales spend their winter in a location in Fram Strait that scientists had no idea about. And they used a hydrophone array, a stationary hydrophone array, to reveal the presence of whales all winter, and they were singing. And visual surveys are really difficult to do in that area because the ice is pretty solid so they can't get in there with a ship to do visual surveys. Um, and when they did do surveys, as soon as the ice was breaking up in the spring, they would tow a hydrophone and they would see whales, but they would not detect song. So thinking they were on the shoulder of mating season, scientists just sort of assumed that the whales weren't there in the winter like it had that habitat was not good for winter breeding grounds but then they put that stationary hydrophone array in and figured out that 
it was more like a logistics issue that scientists were not getting there and understanding what the whales were doing there and and the hydrophone array helped reveal that for them which is pretty amazing it was like a whole new area that has huge implications for management i mean if the whales are are breeding there all winter and they had no idea then they weren't protecting the area adequately which is pretty amazing so then another paper i did look at that helped give some more information on bowhead whale song was a 2009 paper um, titled bowhead whale balena mississitis songs in the chukchi sea between october 2007 and may 2008 the authors were de la rue Laurinoli, and martin they actually recorded multiple singers at the same time and referenced a 2008 paper that said the same thing and they believe that peak mating season is occurring in the late winter and early spring and it's thought that song is involved in breeding behavior because of the timing of song and the time the the timing of what they believe is peak mating season and it's assumed that males are singing, but it's actually not confirmed. And the song does change from year to year. Um, more than one active song is recorded at the same time period as well. So they're not all singing the same song at the same time. And there is some evidence to support song transmission and cultural transmission in bowhead whales. Um, but again, still something to further study and try to understand and bowhead whales live in a very extreme environment so they make it really difficult even to deploy stationary equipment <laughs> um, again there was a little one-off mention of maybe right whales producing song um, so I chased that down a little bit and there was no evidence of actual song composition in northern or southern right whales so that wraps it up for whale song. Um, that was really fun for me to look at all that information and I hope it gave some of you some ideas or inspiration if you're interested in whale song to look at it further. And I also hope you guys are all staying healthy and safe out there and take full advantage of the open and free access to the journals if you, if you need it. It's a great time to do that. And thank you very much to our newest Patreon supporter. We really appreciate your support during, especially this time. And if you guys have suggestions for um, mini so topics or full episode topics or any news that you've seen recently, even though a lot of people aren't out on the water um, observing things, there are still research groups working. There are people publishing, you know, taking advantage of the time to write and go through peer review. So... You can email us, whalenerds at gmail.com. You can send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. It's at whalenerds on either platform. Um, if you're on our Patreon as a supporter, you can also message us through there and suggest topics. And hopefully we'll have some more fun and exciting information for you soon. But in the meantime, stay healthy and safe. And thank you.